Welcome to Here's What I Hear, a podcast about reflections and tips about relationships, personal development, and connection. My name is Jesse Hipner, and I'm a counselor and coach. I believe one of the biggest parts about being human is how we are connected to other humans, connected in friendships, intimate relationships with family members, colleagues. We live and die in and out of relationships and how we are connected to others. As a counselor and coach, I have helped many couples and individuals make meaningful and even life-saving changes. In this podcast, I want to share a little bit about what I hear from week to week, and I want to share with you some of the tips about ways to work through similar issues. And so, here's what I hear. Welcome to part two of how to manage family conflict during the holidays. I'm excited to continue this dialogue. And if you haven't listened to part one yet, I would encourage you to go back and check that out. The episodes don't necessarily flow one to the next. So if you just want to go ahead and listen to this, it's not that you're going to miss out on anything before, but I want to just real quick, let you know what you would have heard in that and what reasons to go back and listen to that. So we, I think a really important part of this idea of managing family conflict during the holiday seasons is the self-reflection process, really taking some time and reflecting on the past of how things have gone in the past, how you you are contributing to these dynamics and what kind of expectations you have about time together with family and friends during what can be a really stressful time of the year. Just about everybody I'm talking with right now admits that, of course, you know, this type of season, these types of times together just naturally brings up more stress and more anxiety. And that is a breeding ground for additional drama. And so it's important to reflect on that and to be aware of that. So I talked more about that in part one. So be sure to check that out. And here in part two, we're going to be talking about different conflict resolution styles. Now, this is going to apply to more than just the holiday season, but it's really on my mind as I'm thinking about, okay, what are some of the skills? What are some of the dynamics that we should be aware of in these situations? And most notably, I think conflict styles and learning about the different conflict styles, being aware of your own conflict style and the conflict styles of those others who you're going to be interacting with is it's almost like a uh, secret key perhaps of kind of being able to, you know, see through that lens of someone else's world. If you've taken any kind of personality assessments, you know, like Myers-Briggs or Strengths Finders or the Enneagram, and as you start to read about those and you're like, wow, now I really can, can kind of imagine what it might be like for somebody else with a different perspective of how they view these things. And so being aware of your own conflict style and the conflict styles of those around you and the conflict styles that you might default into in stressful or hard situations is going to be so helpful. It really is it's really a, a secret key in a sense of being able to approach and have a posture uh, with this in mind. So that's what we're going to be talking about. There's many different types of conflict styles, and there's lots of different ways that people have conceptualized conflict styles. These five that I'm going to be talking about, I find to be good 
terminology that I think clearly kind of communicate the different postures. But I want you to know that there's a lot of nuance, just as there is in like a personality assessment, a personality test. There is a lot of different nuance to these. And there's going to be one that I'm going to kind of present, I think, as what would be the ideal in kind of a general sense. But I also think that there's even room to navigate within that, right? That there might be at different moments, at different times, it may actually be more beneficial to use one of the other conflict styles. And I think that that's a really freeing thought to say, okay, even if the, there's one that might be usually presented as the ideal, other situations, other dynamics might warrant one of the other conflict styles. That it's not that we're only striving for just this one ideal, the one perfect one, right? So I think it's important that we approach this with an open posture, an open hand to say, okay, maybe I do want to strive for the ideal one, but there may be situations where it's okay to use some of the other ones as well. Okay. So that's kind of setting, setting the stage for what we're going to dive into. If you do some Googling or you do some reading, or you're familiar with other conflict styles as well, just take what I say to enhance or inform that knowledge you already have. You may have different terms for these different types of conflict styles. So it's certainly meant to help inform and help you conceptualize these dynamics even further. So let's talk about them. So the first one is avoidance or avoiding conflict. And this type of conflict resolution, you know, really is taking the posture of oftentimes maybe pretending that everything is great, everything is fine, you know, there's not really anything to worry about. And I think this person who tends to default into the avoidant conflict style, frankly, has probably seen conflict modeled in really unhealthy and traumatic ways perhaps in the, from their childhood or from other really unhelpful relationships. The conflict was so volatile, so hurtful, probably directly to them, that they are going to run from it. They are going to avoid it no matter what. The, the cost or the risk of even entertaining any moment or semblance of conflict is going to be too great of a cost, so I'm just going to avoid it, right? This person also may tend to always defer talking about a problem. Now, there's a nuance to that because certain people really do need time to process an issue, some time to you know reflect on what's going on. So they may ask for, hey, can we pick this up tomorrow? Can we talk about this later? Can we come back to this? That's actually a good communication skill to be able to let somebody else know or who you're interacting with that now is not a good time. I need to address this later. However, the, the difference between that and the avoiding conflict style is that the person is always going to defer talking about it. They're always going to say, let's, let's deal with it later and never actually gets to it, right? Okay, so then you come back to, hey, is now a good time? Nope, not, this isn't good. There just keeps piling up, piling up, piling up, kind of sweeps the issues under the rug is a good analogy for this. Or just frankly, 
straight out refusing to talk about it, right? Kind of relates to that first element that I mentioned there, pretending everything is great, everything's fine. And so just kind of really this denial mindset of, you know, I don't want to talk about that. That's not, that's not an issue. Now, again, there's a nuance to that because that could be related to somebody's boundary, right? So you may not be in a place where it is worth it for them or it is safe for them to do that conflict with you. So that refusing to talk may be a boundary that they're setting up. I think the problem with that can become when that's a person who you want to do relationship with and who they want to do relationship with you and deepen that relationship, right? So let's say it's like a an intimate partner, a spouse, a close family member, a, a parent, a child, a, a sibling. Just refusing to talk about it, I think that there is something to examine there. Why has that boundary been set? Do you need to do that self-reflection and think about, okay, it seems that this person is consistently setting up a boundary with me, or I have a boundary with somebody else, and I just refuse to do that conflict with them? Why is that? If that's someone that you are really wanting to deepen your relationship with, I think that's an important element to examine. And is that conflict avoidance hindering uh, that relationship deepening. Okay. So that's called the avoiding conflict style. Number two is accommodating. Okay. So the accommodating, I think most closely connects with individuals who would tend to describe themselves or others might describe them as people pleasers. Now I will put my hand up for this. I think this and another one I'll get to in a moment most closely relates to my own uh, default posture of always accommodating. So I could, I could talk a nauseum about what this looks like because there's many times where I default out of stress or out of high drama or lots of energy coming up that my nature, my nervous system will default to wanting to be accommodating. And that thought that goes through my mind that I think for a lot of others with this style is that I need to make everyone else feel comfortable before I let my needs known or before I let my issues known. And so I'm always going to be accommodating. I'm always going to be looking for other people's energy or other people's mindset or emotions or how they are feeling before I bring up anything that might be a problem for me, right? So it's not so much that you're avoiding it. You're aware that there's the conflict. You're aware that there's an issue, but you're going to overcompensate. You're going to overaccommodate to others' needs so much so that you never really are, are honest and authentic about your own needs in that, right? So again, the accommodating has some real strengths. You know, they're absolutely, it's important to be aware of how others are feeling. It's important to be mindful of others' needs in these situations, especially when you're dealing with conflict. But if you're over-accommodating, if you're always accommodating, you're always taking that posture, that's when this can become problematic. Okay. So that's accommodating. The third one is called a competing conflict style. And this is the person who is maybe often described as maybe like a type A personality, a really bold personality, really well-spoken, intellectual perhaps, or just that they always need to be seen as the expert or they always need to be seen as having the right way to figure out something. Someone who is always wanting to get the last word in, for example, right? Like the 
argument or the discussion is just about to end and, oh, but I have one last thing I, I need to get in here or, you know, the someone who is really about the fact finding, right? Someone who is, you know, that's not exactly what was said or that's not exactly how this went, you know, has a really good memory, perhaps a really good, or at least they want to present themselves as having a really good picture of how that argument last time went or how the situation or, you know, the perfect way to get to a location uh, via driving or that they're really have everything planned out and figured out. So they are going to be the one with the exact right information and nothing else is really going to matter. And so they're going to have that drive within in them to really be competing in that conflict, right? So again, there are strengths to this dynamic, right? There are strengths to getting in what's important. I don't want to minimize that the facts of a situation are important. Obviously, if certain things that are said or certain details can be really pivotal in a dynamic, right? Oh, no, you definitely said this or that is not what happened at all, right? So it's not to minimize that and to pretend like those situations aren't important, and so this person can really be a good contributor to a situation, to an argument, to conflict, because they're going, they are going to have important details that should be acknowledged. The problem, of course, comes, again, like you're kind of probably getting the picture at this point, when it's the over-the-top, it's always that default posture. I have to get the last word in. My recollection has to be seen as right, as as the correct way to view this situation, or my solution is the solution we need to end on. That's when this becomes problematic. Okay, and the fourth conflict style is compromising. And compromising is a type of person who is always going to probably back down, someone who is likely always the first person to apologize. And the interesting thing with someone who is probably internally starting to think or has come to believe that their needs are uh, too, too big of needs or they are unrealistic needs, and so they really don't matter as much as others around them, and so they need to be compromising more on their standards or compromising on their needs and, and changing those. And this person will a lot of times come across kind of as like the cool cucumber, you know, so to speak, someone who is always flexible, someone who is always willing to change plans at the last minute, someone who really doesn't ever make their own needs super known. Or when they do make their needs known, they really aren't vulnerable and authentic about how those needs come out. Now, this would be the other one that I have from time to time default in. I think I've made a lot of progress on this, but this certainly is a dynamic where I find myself again in those stressful, high conflict situations of, okay, how can I just resolve this situation. You know, how, maybe I can just compromise on my own needs and then boom, we can get a solution through, right? The th dynamic here as well with being always the first one to apologize, I find is actually can be an inauthentic way to diffuse a situation, right? Because if you have learned that saying sorry ends the conflict, and it may be that you are sorry, right? You, you are sorry about that. 
But you would rather apologize first in order to get that conflict over with and compromise on really what you are trying to talk about or the pro- the underlying problem. And so being the first one to apologize, and if that is accurate, right, that that is, you know, over the majority of the time you are apologizing, you are, you know, taking some type of blame for the situations, that could be a good indicator that the compromising style is one that you oftentimes default to. And again, there is certainly strengths of the compromising conflict style in the sense that compromise is absolutely a good conflict resolution skill. How can I compromise and how can the other person compromise? You know, in relationship with any other person, there is a very few things that you're going to always get exactly your way, right? Maybe it comes to, you know, food or, you know, the way you spend your money or a parenting decision, right? Sometimes it is one one person's choice or the other. Maybe there's not a whole lot of, you know, compromise. And so over the grand scheme of, you know, a couple of weeks, Maybe there's some type of balance, you've compromised, they're compromising as well, right? So compromising, I think, is a natural part of being in a healthy relationship. The problem comes with this conflict style if that is always your initial default reaction or default way to try to find resolution. If you are always compromising, that can become problematic because you are not being fully authentic and vulnerable about your needs, okay? So that's that's an important dynamic to pay attention to. The last one is called collaborating, the collaborating conflict style. Now, I would offer this one as probably the most ideal conflict style. I think it takes in all four of these elements that I've just talked about and brings them into a healthy, healthy dynamic, right? But again, collaborating is not always possible and knowing your audience knowing who you're doing conflict with it may not always be possible to collaborate right you know if you were to take this into the business world you know a good leader i believe is bringing in the whole reporting chain right from all the way down to the frontline person all the way up to the executive board members right they are bringing in everybody's perspective but the reality is, is that's not always possible, right? That's certainly why there is a leadership structure. At a certain point, you know, leaders, especially the CEO, is going to have to make decisions without 100% perfect collaboration from everyone. So the way to help imagine ourselves in a collaborating posture is I like to use the analogy of we're all on the same team, right? Oftentimes, in a couple, in a relationship where I'm working with two people, problem comes up and they're tossing this problem back and forth with each other. They're not doing this. Here's the problem. No, you're not doing this. You said this. That's why the problem is happening. And the ball gets just tossed back and forth between the two people. What I like to try to help the couple imagine, I think is important as well in family conflict, is we're all on the same team. And if we're all on the same team, therefore, what is our joint goal? I would offer that in some degree, it's that we want to have authentic relationship, right? We're striving to have true 
meaningful, healthy, authentic relationship with each other. And therefore, if that's our ultimate goal, we're all working toward this goal. We're all doing our best to meet this objective, to to achieve this goal. Therefore, we need to be collaborating. Okay, so then what is hindering that authentic connection? What's what's getting in the way, right? Another question that we would be asking is whose needs aren't being met, right? And an important piece of that is not just taking that accommodating style, right? Or the compromising style of whose needs aren't getting met, but it's also being honest about your own needs and and being willing to communicate what about your needs aren't being met. And then also talking about why are those needs important, right? So being open and honest, asking questions about those needs. Why is that important to you? How do we come together and meet those needs together? And then lastly, which relates back to part one that I talked about, how am I contributing to this goal not being met? If you're all on the same team, we all have certain roles that we are playing and certain things that we may be missing or certain ways that we are contributing to the barriers. So it's important that we recognize where we may also be getting in the way. So again, this collaborating style I would offer as, you know, the kind of ideal conflict style we want to be striving to, but all five, so avoiding, accommodating, competing, compromising and collaborating all of these i think you could make an argument that from time to time there may be reason good reason to take on some of those different conflict resolution styles so i would encourage you to just kind of reflect on these different styles maybe also do some reading online about different conflict resolution styles be aware of when you are in high stress or drama a lot of energy coming up what is your body kind of wanting to default to right so think back to maybe the last time you were in some heavy conflict with family what was your posture that your body was like wanting to default to and and why is that right then you may also examine and reflect on some of the other people in those dynamics and these are people that you probably have had a lot of conflict with or a lot of interactions with so you can probably imagine okay this person is you know kind of taking this style on a lot of times this person takes this style being aware of that i think is going to help you know how to interact and communicate and engage uh, with those other people during the holidays during high stress interactions and i think will set you up for success well thanks for listening and i want to give a sneak peek at what part three is going to include. And that's going to be how we want to evaluate and what we want to expect out of the situations that we're going to be in. I'm also going to be sharing some meditation and visualization uh, tips as you prepare for those situations so that you actually have some skills to use when you are in those moments of conflict, right? So how do we help regulate our nervous system? How do we help regulate our bodies when we are in these settings with people who might bring up a lot of anxiety for us? What can we do about those moments, right? So definitely tune in for that part three and thanks for listening today.
Hey, I want to extend an offer to you. The fact that you made it here to the end of the episode tells me that something that I am talking about in these episodes is resonating with you. And for some reason, we are connected through this effort. So if you enjoyed this episode or you've been enjoying other episodes that you've been listening to and you're finding things helpful or insightful, I would love to work with you. If you are struggling in a relationship perhaps, or you're trying to overcome a challenge in life, I want to meet with you through a free consultation. That free consultation is just a chance to meet with me, to share a little bit about yourself, and for me to offer you some insights and some feedback. My goal in those consultations is to give you as much as I can, as much as I know about relationships and personal development. There's truly no strings attached. It's simply a one-on-one space with a professional to get feedback directly about what you are going through and what you are trying to work toward. So check out the show notes for a link to schedule with me. Quick note for a liability reasons, I am not your counselor. Okay, if you think I'm your counselor, that's probably a good indicator you need counseling. Now, of course, if you're in the Denver metro area or frankly anywhere in Colorado, I would love to explore working with you. And so, like I mentioned before, check out that consultation call and I would love to talk with you more about that. But just listening to this podcast and following me does not equate to being in treatment with me. I just need to make that clear. And lastly, and most importantly, if you're struggling with thoughts of wanting to kill yourself, wanting to die, or feel like there's no way out, I want you to know there is hope and there is help. And I want you to get that help immediately. A good option is frankly the emergency room. They are equipped to help you. And if you're in the United States, we have a three-digit suicide hotline and it is 988. All right. Thanks.